0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, January 15th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about WandaVision episodes one and two, which hits D- Disney Plus, I-, I guess, earlier today at midnight. It's there uh, right now. Yeah, go go watch it. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash home Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Weekend Editor, Brad Oman.
2: Hey, that's me. So
1: we've been doing this kind of breakdown of the episodes of The Mandalorian. I've done this with Brad, and we had our third chair was our Star Wars expert, Brian Young. Uh, you know, Brian's so good with Star Wars. I c- couldn't find quite a fit for him on this podcast. Uh, so we had to replace him with two people. <laughs> yeah, J- Jacob, you, you are a big Marvel Comics like uh, nerd.
3: I'd yes, say, I, right? I love Marvel Comics. I would not say that I'm as... I am I am not to marvel at what Brian is a Star Wars, but I know a great deal about Marvel and and prepared to talk about it on this very show. <laughs>
1: uh, and I also asked Ben to come on for this particular episode because I know he's kind of into like... The movies the 50s and 60s and kind of like these madcap uh zany kind of like like, we always we often hear him talking about that on the water cooler so i I thought you might have uh some stuff to say about these first two episodes sure yeah okay um we are press i have no
2: specific purpose apparently
1: well, Brad, <laughs> everybody knows that you're here because you 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 are into this geeky stuff as as am I, I love and it. you you run uh, the superhero bits on the site. Uh, I, I felt like it was un un. We didn't need to explain it, but sure, it's sure. just obvious why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was gonna say we were pressed, so we were gifted with a set of screeners for the series. We saw the first three episodes. Did everybody here see the first three episodes?
0: Yes, Yes. I actually just watched the first two because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, So I I purposely did not watch the third one because I kind of want to watch the show like as it unfolds and, you know, it's... The definition of first world problems to have screeners and like watch <laughs> stuff so early that like the conversation is uh old to you by the time the regular people get around to watching it. So, I didn't want to have that experience, so I just watched the first two because I knew that that's what we we're going to be covering today. Yeah, I want to emphasize that. Sorry to sorry to talk over you at the start of there, Ben. Uh, that
3: we have seen the first three, some of us, but we for Ben's sake and for you, the listener, we will only talk about the first two episodes here. We are not going to even broach, not even hint at season at, at episode three. Yeah, we
1: won't even in the, you know, speculation segment at the end of this podcast, uh, you know, hint at what we've seen in episode three. Uh, but Okay, I just wanted to say that uh, before we get started, I guess uh, let's start with brief reactions. I already gave my brief reaction on a previous podcast, but I'll just say really quickly that this is uh, weird and wonderful. And unlike anything I expected from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm in um, Brad, what did you think?
2: I'm right there with you. Um, this was even more, I guess, different than I was expecting because uh, it was clear from the trailers they were going to play with, you know, the the medium of classic TV and pay tribute to all these old TV shows and work their way through various sitcoms across the the decades. But I couldn't believe just how firmly the show is in that sitcom style um it's you know the the hints of you know the lingering uh mystery that's there and what's really going on in the show uh isn't really super prominent except in like one or two key moments throughout each of these episodes uh so otherwise they're very much you know sticking to the idea that this is a sitcom where there's something weird happening that we're going to learn slowly over time and uh they really just nailed the style um both elizabeth olsen and Paul uh, are great, you know, are a great couple, but and they also have, you know, good comedic timing that fits with the classic vibe of TV. The scripts themselves are actually generally funny, especially since they, they even do this thing where they have like subtle double entendres and adult jokes hidden within, you know, the kind of like that they would do in the show when it was a little uh, too risque to be more direct about it as they are with today's TV. So yeah, I just I really like what what this is and how just different it is than anything we've seen in the MCU before.
1: Now, I expect that Jacob liked this, so I'm going to skip over him for now and go to Ben, because I have not talked to Ben about the show, and I'm very curious. Uh, I know he was not a big fan of The Mandalorian, the other big original series on Disney+, Plus. so I'm curious to hear what he thought of the first two episodes of WandaVision.
0: Uh I liked it a lot. I will say I um I went and watched the uh, there's another new Marvel show on if, if you want to call it a show called Legends that uh basically just gives a brief recap for each of the characters um before these new shows start. So there are two episodes that exist right now. One of them I think is like 6 minutes and one is something like 7 minutes and one of them focuses on Wanda and the other one focuses on on Vision and I found that very very helpful. Um, just as, you know, like you guys have established, you guys are all like the sort of experts here. And I'm just, I feel like I'm the stand in for like the, the quote unquote average viewer who, you know, has seen all the Marvel stuff, but does not nearly have the, uh, the in-depth knowledge base that you guys do. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I have not gone back and watched, you know, I have not rewatched the MCU in its entirety leading up to Avengers end game, for example. So I've seen all the movies, but many of them only once, um, or maybe twice at most. So I just found it very, very helpful. And I thought that I would use this opportunity to uh, maybe recommend that for, I guess if people are listening now, maybe you've already seen WandaVision and this is falling on deaf ears, but maybe if you're recommending it to friends or something who are not uh, as in depth as, as we all are, um, then I just found those to be really, really helpful. Like uh, quick recaps that, that, Gave you uh, that caught you up with the characters and put you back in that mindset um, without having to watch, you know, like a forty minute YouTube recreation of, of the timeline of the MCU. So, um, but
1: by the way, I, I I love how like two years ago that would be like you know, a video that Disney puts on YouTube as a featurette. And now it's like an original series on Disney (laughs) Plus. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, maybe like the most, like the weakest original series that has ever existed because it's basically just a clip show from, you know, from other movies and stuff. But, uh, but yes, I, I, I found that to be helpful. So, um, yeah, in terms of this show, uh, as it exists so far, the first two episodes, I, I was very pleased with it because, um, I know that that HC had mentioned that, you know, she was a little, um, like impatient with the mystery, and I just found myself really um, luxuriating in how much time and and their full commitment to the bit of of the setting <laughs> and the style and all of this stuff. Like you know, we'll talk about the specifics, I'm sure, very shortly. But in terms of the, um, you know, the the greater mysteries and stuff that Brad was alluding to a minute ago, there's probably what two total minutes of screen time per episode that sort of hint at at the things to come or what might really be going on. So really you're, you're looking at like whatever, 28 minutes of just full fledged, uh, you know, sitcom stuff and like sitcom storytelling and like, no, there's no, as far as I could tell, and maybe Jacob will, uh will refute this shortly. I, I couldn't, I didn't see that there were any sort of hidden meanings or, or anything going on in the narrative storytelling of the sitcom structure. Um, I just thought it was a way for them to, essentially just remake old episodes of I love Lucy and shows like that. But with these characters in the middle, it really just felt like they loved this format so much. This, this here's a problem. Let's fix it in 30 minutes or introduce a problem and fix it in, in 30 minutes and get out. Um, and I was just very, uh, sort of, sort of, um, like taken by that (laughs) the the commitment that they showed here so uh yeah i'm curious to to see what you guys thought about all the easter eggs and stuff like that too but just in in terms of uh like as brad was saying like i just thought it was really really effectively done sitcom stuff
1: yeah uh before jacob jumps in i i do want to say when i first watched these episodes i've never seen them twice uh i thought it was pretty straightforward like you ben but on a second viewing and i was taking my notes for this podcast um i was pausing every like 30 seconds and noticing something uh something in these episodes that is sometimes greater than an Easter egg. But we'll we'll get into those. Uh Jacob, did you
3: love WandaVision as much as we did? I loved as much as I could based on these uh, first couple episodes. It is it's a slow burn, which is unusual for a Marvel anything, which is you know all about, you know, prior to this, about delivering the goods fast, early, and often and as loud as possible. And I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the event-ness of Marvel stuff, but some of the best comic book superhero writing are the ones that really are slow burns that take their time to build mysteries, that build a character and build a sense, an aura of mystique before, pardon the Marvel pun there mystique, uh, before <laughs> delving into what the heck's going on. And I've seen some reactions already to people being frustrated by WandaVision and how it is not delivering the goods. It's not, it's not delivering you to the fireworks factory immediately <laughs> to use a Simpsons reference. Uh, <laughs> I think part of it will, will depend on, you know, how familiar are you with old television? How, will you appreciate the pastiche? And the answer is that I do. And I'm very curious to see how it pays off. Why the sitcom uh, skin here fits beyond it being a, a loving wink in reference. I think there has to be a reason for that. But right now, without the reason, it's just an incredible amount of fun to see Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen put on their old school TV star hats and prove they're really good at They really study what makes this comedy work. I mean, Paul Bettany has spoken about uh, studying Dick Van Dyke uh who's the Dick Van Dyke show is, is referenced regularly and often, even more so in I Love Lucy, I think, in the first episode, is even a moment in the opening credits where Vision phases through a footstool, which is a reference to Dick Van Dyke's shows opening credits where Dick Van Dyke stumbles <laughs> over a footstool. So it's it's full of touches like that that as as somebody who grew up on Nick and Knight <laughs> watching all these shows. It's a real treat. And uh director Matt, Matt Shackman really understands the, the differences here between the eras. I mean the first one is very clearly I Love Lucy uh uh, 50s style of sitcom, and the second episode really subtly shifts to the 60s, which is still black and white, but it is—it's a bit more liberated, a bit more anarchic, a bit more. About uh, women wearing pants instead of dresses, and it, it is it is a very subtle shift uh, from 50s to 60s, but it's one that's noticeable. And if you're a TV fan, if you're a TV junkie, if you grew up watching sitcoms, you can see that and appreciate it. And it's it's those details that make One such a treat right now. And there are tons of Easter eggs, and there are tons of Marvel things happening, and the mystery is hinted at in moments that are really creepy. In fact, I love how the show is so committed to its bit of being this low key, funny, you know, sci fi sitcom stolen from its era. That when those creepy moments do come in, it really is unnerving. It really is unsettling to see this universe being called out for being as false as it is. It's a really effective thing. And so often we hear about Marvel projects being, oh, this one's different. This one's a spy thriller. This one is this. This one is that. And usually it's just a a thin coat of paint over a familiar template. And WandaVision may get there. I think by the end, it'll, it'll look like a very familiar Marvel thing. But right now, it's the first Marvel project to actually live up to being something different. And I'm very excited to see how long it maintains that.
1: I'm very curious what people that did not see any of those old school sitcoms. Like I, like you, Jacob, I was, you know, I grew up on Nick and Night watching Dick Van Dyke and Mr. Ed and all those kind of shows. So this, like, totally, like, hits the right spot. And it's fun because it's not just, like, a homage to those shows. Like, it feels like it would have, it's not a parody. It, like, feels like it could sit side to side on a tv couch cal- like do you know what i mean if you were watching a, a series of shows on nick and night like it really feels like it could fit in there
3: yeah i think you're looking for a pastiche is the term I yeah. would use for this um
1: okay uh let's get into the details and we're gonna get into spoilers right now um we're gonna go we're not gonna do quite a breakdown like we did on the mandalorian but we we do have a lot to talk about a lot more than i thought we were going to have to talk about um episode one is 26 minutes long uh the both or all three of the first or, uh, the first two episodes are like 30 minute episodes um i guess to mimic the sitcom inspiration my question to you guys uh do you think as i i, I assume that the show is eventually going to break out of the sitcom uh container that it is in do you think it will ever break out of that 30 minute bubble
2: I don't I don't think so at least the way that they've been talking about it leading up to the release of the show is that that's kind of WandaVision is fitting into those 30 minute uh, windows and I think that because they'll be emulating sitcoms all throughout it'll just slowly break down the the style of whatever show that it's in but i unless like the finale maybe totally breaks free and turns into like, you know, a 45 minute to an hour uh, conclusion to everything that's happening. I feel like they'll stick with the sitcom uh, time frame. Okay, so
1: this episode and all the episodes are directed by Matt Shakman. Is that how you Shackman. pronounce Um, Who uh, you probably didn't. know. A lot of people out there listening probably didn't know, but uh, he grew up acting on sitcoms. He was in uh, Ten of Us, um, Webster, Growing Pains, Good Morning Miss Bliss, which is the show that became uh, Saved by the Bell. Um, but uh, he's directed a bunch of TV over the last two decades. But has recently become a huge name because of uh, Game of Thrones, and it's always Sunny
3: episode is so good, Peter. Uh, The Spoils of War, Ben, right? Oh yeah, (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, and it's Always Sunny, which he directed forty three episodes of. It's Always Sunny, so he has experience directing comedy on TV, which, which to me, like not having seen that Game of Thrones episode, it seems weird to me that like the same guy would be directing forty three episodes of. It's Always Sunny, and then, like, this big episode of Game of Thrones?
3: Well, the story here, uh, I actually learned this from the uh, book Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon, the oral history of Game of Thrones. Uh, The Always Sunny Philadelphia team are friends with the Game of Thrones team, and the Sunny team recommended Matt Shackman uh, for Game of Thrones, and gave him this one of the most action-packed, effects-heavy battle episodes of the entire show. (laughs) And that that episode is probably one of the top five episodes of the entire series, and that's clearly got him a Marvel gig, because I think this... The show is so complex, you know, oftentimes subtly, like I think Game of Thrones revealed him to be the guy for effects heavy television. Yeah, you look at his filmography and he's been like directing
1: regularly for the past two decades, but it really is the last like, you know, like five, six years. They kind of like broke out. Um, Interesting to no one but me. But when I was doing research for this, I found that he starred in a movie called A Night at the Magic Castle in 1988 that was actually shot at the Magic Castle. Now I got to see it. So anyways, um, what did you guys think of the, the direction of this, this, the first two episodes?
0: Uh, ben, you should take this one. Uh, man, I, I mean, I'm just very impressed. I, I'm a big It's Always Sunny fan. So I've seen Matt Shackman's name, you know, behind the camera for a long time. And I was very uh, pleasantly surprised with how well he stepped into that Game of Thrones uh, world and and sort of seamlessly and, not only thrive, yeah not only like worked well and, and sort of seamlessly matched what was doing but thrived and and really um like Jacob said you know created uh one or maybe two of you know certainly like the, the top 10 or 15 episodes of that entire show's run so um in terms of this I mean I I was reading uh, and listening to HT's uh interview with him and he was just talking about you know how how he really like spent a lot of time on those sets as, as a young kid, but like found a lot of, um, you know, his, the most fun that he was having basically was recreating these earlier periods, not necessarily the the eighties and nineties kind of periods where he himself was actually wandering around the sets and, and working as an actor, but the, the periods that were just out of reach for him. And I thought, I mean, this stuff looks spectacular, like just the, the framing and, um, yeah. Just the, the I, I thought the pacing was really well done. I thought that was, that was the thing that I was maybe worried about the most was like, okay, I understand on paper that you're trying to create this whole vibe, right? This whole mood, but like, will it sustain itself for uh, a full 30 minute episode of television? I think the, the combination of the script and the direction Uh, And these great performances that are at the center of this thing just really felt like it was just chugging along and like the episode was over before I even knew it, which is not something that I could say about a lot of TV that's on right now.
1: Yeah, agreed. Okay, so this show opens with the Marvel Studio opening as we know it, and it converts into black and white and four by three aspect ratio. Nice.
2: Uh, The
1: first episode. Not only
2: only that, but I don't know if you noticed, but I'm pretty sure that the sound went mono too, as opposed to stereo. It absolutely did.
1: I did notice there was something up, but I couldn't like put my finger on it. So that's that's cool.
3: I just want to point uh, out also that when that Marvel fanfare played, I noticed so much chatter about Marvel dominates culture, you know, and superhero movies and whatnot. And that conversation is one we can have another date. But I will say, after a year and a half, hearing the Marvel fanfare again got me unreasonably <laughs> excited. I was oh I yeah, happy. I was so jazzed too. You're so right, Jacob.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh okay, so this first episode begins with a live action T V opening introducing us to this weird couple moving into the suburbs and, you know, Wanda envisions magic powers. Uh Jacob, you mentioned this reference to Dick Van Dyke show. I think this is probably like the this is a version of the Dick Van Dyke opening, kind of in a way.
3: Yeah, this is a riff on a lot of the you know the Suburban Couple is happy in in the suburbs opening um but yeah this, this one is actively quoting Dick Van Dyke you know in a way that Dick Van Dyke's probably the best classic sitcom ever made maybe edging out I Love Lucy like by a hair um this made me very happy.
1: Yeah and we should mention uh that the opening theme songs were actually created by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez who are the egot winning couple known for Avenue Q, Book of Mormon, and the Frozen films, and Coco. Um, So that's why, uh, if you were like, that song was stuck in your head after, that's why.
3: They're also (laughs) on Disney speed dial, apparently. I think they're just like number one (laughs) on Bob J. phone.
1: Yeah, and I should mention, they didn't do the the music for the whole thing. Christopher Beck was the composer, and uh, he's worked with them on the Frozen movies, and he also worked on the MCU, uh, the Ant-Man films. So he he has that kind of like comedy m c u kind of vibe to him um okay, so uh this episode opens with like Wanda doing housework with her magic. It feels very like bewitched, and I dream a genie to me and the thing that I think surprised me most about this episode and the episode that follows is how practical all the all the visual effects look it looks like they were like doing it with like wires on set and it wasn't like cg which i know ben you mentioned on a previous version of the podcast that uh who was it did matt say it? someone said that this has more visual effects than avengers endgame mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which sure. had like 2500 effect shots
0: yeah i think it was paul bettany that, that made that claim yeah
1: yeah, so like, when do you think that's coming? Do you think that's coming like later on in the season? Because I think from what we've seen, it's not in here, right?
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's much, much later. We'll we'll probably get to that during our uh, speculation uh, at the end of this episode.
2: Although, yeah. at the, although at the same time, you have to probably assume that almost every shot that has Vision in it is a visual effect shot because of his face.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, that's a good point too. Um, yeah, I, I I got to see uh, Vision perform when I was on the. Age of Voltron set, and it is. He does wear a lot of stuff, but it, 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 yeah, everything is augmented by CG. He has like, oh, he has like dots
0: on his face. Is that yeah. how they okay? Gotcha. I don't know if I knew that. I, I think uh, it looks so
2: good that I just assumed it was makeup, but uh,
0: yeah, it's cool. Maybe it is just the
1: makeup and white. I don't know actually.
2: No, there's because <laughs> there, there, there's other shots too, like that, that behind the scenes. There's even um, some shots that like uh appear in like the a new featurette where you can see that. Not all of the detail on Vision's face is makeup. There's like there's certain subtle things that are almost make look like uh, digitized or like synthesized skin, like like almost like scan lines on his face and certain details around his eyes. Mm. I'm gonna have to look out for that now.
1: Um, th- this show just feels so perfectly like it was made in the 1950s, and I actually learned that they actually used camera lenses from the 1950s for the 1950s episode and we'll talk about 1960s later but they used camera lenses from that I think they ended up using something like 70 camera lenses throughout the production of the series which is a lot more than a typical production because they were trying to to capture that feel Um, okay so the plot for the first episode is this couple finding a reminder on their calendar that neither can remember Um, it turns out it was for visions boss who. Him and his wife are coming over for dinner and uh, they got to uh, they got to improvise and make them dinner and the wacky chaos ensues. I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, Now, uh, I want to talk about first Catherine Hahn, who plays Agnes, the nosy neighbor. What did you guys think of
0: this? Oh, my God. I mean, Catherine Hahn is the best. She just totally (laughs) rules like this is the perfect role for her. And she just like comes in throwing a hundred miles an hour and just completely owns the screen whenever she's on it. And I, I just love like the, her delivery is so like um, stylized and over the top, but like kind of perfect for that character. And this kind of, um, I, I, the thing that has me most curious is like how well Catherine Hahn is going to do at capturing that neighbor archetype as the show transitions through the decades, because she's so, so good at it here. I can't help but wonder if like, it's only going to go downhill. <laughs> I mean, not to, to doubt Catherine Hahn, but like she's so uh, at the top of her game here and just feels like completely in the pocket in the best way as a performer that, I'm just, I mean, it would be uh, astounding if she was able to be this good in every episode uh, or every sort of decade or, or um, stylistic choice that they go through. But man, I was, I was very impressed with what she was doing here.
1: Yeah, and her and Wanda kind of have this like Lucy and Ethel vibe to them, I think. Um, there's this theory going around. I wanted to ask you, Jacob, about this. People think because her name is Agnes... That she might actually be representing this key character from the comics called Agatha Harkness. And the reason for this is it's kind of like a, you know, how Kylo uh, is part Skywalker and part solo. So, Agatha Harkness, if you combine that, it, it, it's, it, you can get Agatha, uh, like, um, Agnes. Does, does that make sense? I'm probably explaining it badly, but, um, Jacob, I wanted to ask you: Who is Agatha Harkness? How does she relate to Wanda? And then, after all that, do you think that there is something to this fan theory?
3: Yeah, Agatha Harkness is a real fringe Marvel character. She's uh, an immortal witch from who was, was literally from the Salem witch trials, who was alive through modern Marvel times, and uh, she's always been sort of like one of those you know, off-center, I mean, a magical mentor type figure. She pops up, you know, elderly woman uh, in the comics, literally looking like how you imagine a witch to look. And she has a connection with Wanda Maximoff in the comics. Uh, there's a storyline where she actually mentors magi- uh Wanda in using actual magic as opposed to her, you know, innate abilities, which in the comics are mutant powers, which in the show are powers given to her through experimentation. And... I'm not sure how deep I want to get into this. Uh, so I will say that in the comics, Agatha does die at Wanda's hand after Wanda has a bout of insanity, which is common for her on the page. Uh, so that's. Is this who... the
1: uh, disassembled storyline? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: and I'm not convinced that a- a- Agnes is Agatha Harkness. And I'll say this simply because Agatha and Agnes are such. They're in no way connected as names other than starting with AG. And. and Maybe the combination of it it lends something. I have
1: well, it's the first letters and it's the end letters.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's really out there. Look, I'm not saying it's impossible, uh, and it will. It's not unusual for Marvel to, to hide their tracks in a way like this. And if it, it, I have a Galaxy Brain theory, which I'll go to at the very end of this episode in case it turns out to be true about um, the overall vibe of what, where this is going. I don't want to say anything here because I, I think I know where this is going based on my comic 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 book knowledge. Uh, it is possible. I'm not convinced yet, but there is a character named Agatha Harkness, not Agnes, who um, has a dark, strange history with Wanda in the comics. But I, I'm not going to commit to this as being a theory. I fully backed, I'm fully back
2: just
0: yet. Peter, and I will say, I was a, oh, go ahead, Brad.
2: There are two other interesting details that kind of feed into this. One appears in the trailer, and one you can you notice uh, throughout these episodes. Um, one of them is that so the the comic illustrations of Agatha Harkness, she has this amulet that is situated on her neck. And if you notice, uh, Agnes is wearing an amulet in uh, a couple different ways. And it's the exact same one throughout these episodes. And then on t- uh, the the trailer hint that hint, and it could, this easily could just be like an Easter egg thing to like, as a, as a red herring, or it could be a subtle setup as well is um, coming up sometime when the show gets a little bit more modern, uh, she um she's vision out in the neighborhood in his full like cape, you know, body, you know, um, with you know his green and and pink coloring, and she at she says she says you're from the Avengers, are you here to help us? And she's it, it's Halloween, and she's dressed as a witch inside of a car, and then she has this like in moment of insane laughter. So that that does feed a little bit into the idea of maybe there's something something else going on or that's weird. But but as we've seen in the rest of this show, there's a lot of weird things going on. So, well, I'm
3: not choosing to use trailer theorizing, Brad. I'm working in context. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, when you look at the big picture, there is more evidence. But in these first two episodes, I'm choosing to. I'm choosing to play my cards under the table for right now
0: so I don't look too foolish when I'm wrong about a lot of things in a few weeks. (laughs) Um, Peter, I was just going to say, I thought as somebody who has no idea who Agatha Harkness is, I've never heard of that character and don't know anything about these comics. Uh, I just thought that the Agnes character name might have been just a shout out to Bewitched because um, this actress named Agnes Moorhead played Indora, uh, which is Samantha's mother on Bewitched, and she was... Uh, a witch herself and maybe that sort of factors into why she's dressed as a witch in that Halloween segment of that trailer that Brad was talking about. But I, I just sort of took it to be like, Oh, this is sort of like a loose tie to be witch. But obviously there could be something much more, you know, uh, Marvel heavy going on here. Ben,
1: I think you might be right about this one. I will say that there's a lot that we are going to come up in, in this, in this episode of the podcast that is like theorizing and speculating and dissecting things that possibly have n- no meaning whatsoever. <laughs> do you know what I mean, like, like yeah. th- this is what people do with Marvel things. <laughs> they like try to find meaning where there sometimes isn't meaning. So, but I think there is meaning here. I think you're probably right. I think it's a, probably a nod to Bewitch, but I don't know. We'll see. The, I was wondering Brad about that, uh the amulet or whatever the thing that she wears. Like I was wondering what that was and I couldn't quite get a good screen grab or see what it was. Um, so I wonder if that has anything to do with anything. But okay, um, I I think we all like love the comedy of this like episode, right? Like, it perfectly captures like and pays tribute to the comedy of like the 1950s, but at the same time, like, it isn't like it still has like the weirdness, the Marvel weirdness, at the forefront of like the wacky comedy. I don't know. I I I just was enamored by how well um, the writing team of this like just captured the 1950s sitcoms. But um, okay, so Vision works as a human at an office that he has no understanding of what the company actually does. Um, Do you think that's more like, do you think that's just a joke about people working in offices doing mundane work or do you think there's a greater meeting there
2: (laughs) i think that i think that this is actually something that's part of the overall mystery um because and and obviously we'll get to this later but like it's clear that what's happening is some kind of construct and i think that some parts of the construct have not been as meticulously crafted for whatever reason and so certain questions like that don't really have definitive answers because it's probably not thought that it's something that would ever uh, be questioned necessarily, or isn't important for whatever this contract is trying to uh, achieve. So I think that it's, it's both funny that like, it's a mundane thing. It's like, Oh, we're just doing paperwork with numbers and stuff. And it doesn't really matter, but it's also like, this is something that hasn't been figured out because whoever made this contract doesn't, didn't think that it needed to be.
1: Yeah. I want to say how much I love Mr. Hart or Mr. Hartman. Um, he's played by Fred Melamed, I think yeah. that's how you pronounce his name, and uh, I, I remember loving him, and he's in a lot of stuff, but I, I loved him in uh, Serious Man. Um, obviously, the last name here was the Hard in the calendar. Um, do you think there's any additional meaning there, or do you think that was just the setup for the, the, the calendar, kind of, you know, to set up the craziness at the end of this episode?
2: Uh, so one thing that I didn't know until I read about this, but uh, Nerdist had a breakdown of Easter eggs, and they think that it might be a reference to Steve Englehart, um, who is one of the two writers, along with Richard Howell, who wrote a 1985 miniseries uh, called The Vision and the Scarlet Witch.
1: Oh, interesting. Um, there, There's also something else I wanted to mention, that um, the date on the calendar was August... Oh my god, I'm losing in my notes August 23rd. Here. August 23rd. Okay, we'll talk about that later because that comes into play later. Um, so each of these episodes has a commercial. Let's talk about the commercial in the first episode. Uh, this is for the Toastmate 2000, which will help the wife not burn the husband's toast, which is perfectly captures the sexism. Of the roles of the 1950s. I love it. <laughs> uh, but the toaster has a sinister beeping.
3: Any ideas there? Brad has a great theory about this. I want him to explain it.
2: Yeah, so we'll, and we'll talk about the second commercial later that helps expand this theory. But um, what we don't know about this toaster until the very end of the toaster is that it's a product of Stark Industries. And interestingly enough, there's one bit of color in this commercial too, and it's a red blinking light at the front of the toaster. And if you'll recall, um, one of the pieces of information that we know about the origin of Wanda Maximoff and her brother Pietro is that they were once stuck in their house after Stark Industries' weapons were used um, in their area, staring down a missile with Stark Industries uh, branded on it. And it was it was a dud, but they just sat there waiting for it to blow up as people were digging through rubble trying to get them out of the house. And so I think that this is a reference to uh, Wanda's origins and her, her history throughout the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe because that beeping definitely does tease a bomb. And the fact that it is also... Uh, a Stark Industries product would seem to go along with that. Plus, you'll you'll, um, you'll hear uh, the sound of Iron Man's uh, repulsors near the beginning when the, the toaster is activated.
1: Interesting. And, and that bomb also is responsible for the death of their parents, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a tagline here: "Forget the past. This is your future." Um, what, what, what do you guys think this uh, This is all trying to say. Is it just a reference? I, I think you're right, Brad. I think this is a reference to, like, this uh, seated thing from her past of that she, she can't let go of. Um, and, you know, the tagline, forget the past, this is your future. Uh, Jacob, do you have any idea? Like, is there anything more to this that we aren't seeing?
3: Uh, I, I think that the other commercials going forward will build upon what Brad suggested here. And it's appropriate that this is the first sinister moment in the series or before this has been such so effectively being a sitcom that when we see a little color creep in and it's that red blinking light and it's a stark product it really is a it really feels like you know the dark underbelly of you know, the american industrial state you know here here are stark industries they make toasters but you know what they also make bombs that killed <laughs> kill families overseas and that's a really dark undercurrent and it's one of those things where I'm not going to say WandaVision is is, is David Lynch. It's not, uh, but I think that they have a similar thing on their mind as Blue Velvet and as Twin Peaks, which is underneath you know ordinary American towns can lurk tremendous evil, and and it's a something that's on the mind of Lynch and it's on the mind of WandaVision. Like we can art, like I know people gave one of our writers some serious crap for making this comparison, even though it's an accurate one. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. We're going to see the idea of the American dream as seen through television being peeled apart as being incredibly phony and being incredibly dangerous uh, for both, you know, the people involved directly in it and the people who are being harmed by it. And I think this is a, a key indicator of that being a recurring thing.
1: Yeah. The, the, does it say badly of my consumerism that I was thinking in my second viewing, I wonder if they'll release this toaster because it has like the Stark Industries logo on the front and that'd be a cool like toaster to have in my kitchen.
3: Yeah, it'll blink at you and remind you of your dead family, Peter.
1: (laughs) Okay, so Deborah Jo Rupp plays Mrs. Hart. And as far as we know, she only appears in this one episode, according to IMDb, at least. Um, She played Kitty in that 70s show, which I didn't see. But she seems like... uh, She seems, like, perfectly cast for, like... she's like It seems like a character actor perfectly cast for, like, this role. And uh, she's been acting as long as I've been alive. She was actually... Uh, mrs patterson in the movie big with tom hanks so uh she's been around for a while um so they're having dinner and the wine that they are drinking has a label that roughly translates to house of contempt is this a house of m reference jacob
3: i don't want to talk about house of m just yet because this is where we enter serious potential spoilers. I'll talk about House of M at the very end of this podcast. People who want to turn off. I think that may be the key to understanding where this is all going. But I will say that, yes, uh, I think it could be because House of M is probably the Wanda story in the comics. It's the defining one. It's the one that defined who she is since it was published in 2005. It rewrote who she was. And it's the kind of storyline that's so impossibly devastating to her as a character that I feel like it's taken years for Marvel comics continuity to allow her to be seen in the same room as heroes (laughs) ever again uh we'll talk about i I think it is a reference uh like i said i i promise we'll delve on to this whenever we get to the very end i give you a proper spoiler warning about where i think this is going
1: okay uh i i do want to do a shout out to the set designs of the series like this first episode i love that it has like these huge sets which are like each room is comically huge in proportion especially like 1950s uh what what houses were but it's really capturing like what you did like on stage of those kind of shows and uh when the doors open you see that it's not really outside it's kind of like the backdrop of a stage or something like that and we should also talk that this was actually filmed in front of a live studio audience i think this is the only episode that might have been at least uh from what i can find so I think that's interesting that they chose to do that instead of a laugh track here to give it a different feel. Um so there's this moment in the show where Mr. Hart asks the couple about their history, why did they come here? And both are unable to answer because not because they are trying to hide something but because they clearly don't know. So this kind of, you know, starts to seed the mysteries of this show like why do you not they not know their past
3: i want to toss this to ben real quick because this is the first time we break the sitcom formula it goes into more modern camera styles mm-hmm. and the tone changes so abruptly it becomes so sinister ben how did this shift work for you
0: oh i loved it so much that was the the thing the camera movement going to that that handheld sort of single camera feel from from that sort of three camera uh traditional sitcom look it was super super effective and I mean this was the moment that felt the most I mean to keep like uh, evoking David Lynch's name this was the moment that felt the most Twin Peaks-y to me it's just sort of like um, everything sort of comes to a a stop and there's so much uh, there's so much pain in the realization from these characters from Wanda and Vision that they don't understand what's going on it's not just confusion it feels like there's something more there um and i just thought the performances were were really top-notch in that moment and like yeah like the the camera work and the way that the episode sort of takes this sharp pivot and like the way that uh the mrs hart character keeps um repeating herself over and over and over again like once uh mr hart starts choking um and and just the the way that yeah the the camera is sort of moving around in ways that it had not earlier and it, it really just breaks with the formula and sort of uh immerses you as the audience it grabs you by the collar and like pulls you in and says hey this is what you know this is not uh this is no longer just the the fun and games sitcom thing you know this is where the real heart of what's going on
2: at heart no uh, no pun intended <laughs> it, 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 it you would have loved on. that yeah <laughs> um
0: but yeah i, I think I, there's
2: love that moment i think there's also um an, inter- an interesting layer here to uh what mrs Hart is doing because she seems she's saying, uh, you know, uh, stop it, stop it. And initially, she's saying it like, oh, you know, her to her husband, oh, stop it, you know. But then, as he continues to choke, it seems like she's she, she gets more desperate about it. She's like saying, stop it. And mm-hmm. I feel like n- not only is she trying to get uh, Wanda or Vision to do something, as in stop him from choking, but also maybe telling whoever is controlling this weird uh, you know, sitcom construct to like, like, stop, what are you doing? Almost like when, uh, uh, Laura Linney breaks character in Truman show, when she yells yep. out, you know, someone stop, you know, what's, what's happening. You know, this is going too far.
0: Yeah. I, I sort of thought about a combination of that and the moment when, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in true, uh, is in a uh, total recall and he's dressed up as the woman and she like starts, um, like, you know, malfunctioning and stuff and just <laughs> keeps repeating it. It was, yeah, th- those two thoughts were the exact ones I had, Brad
1: yeah and and this is also followed up by that moment, like you mentioned he's choking on the piece of meat, so they don't get the answer you know why they're there or what they where why they came there uh and there's this moment where he's choking, and Wanda and vision both want to help him, but they know that if they do, they could I- I'm guessing like they're holding back until Wanda basically gives vision permission to help him is that because they're trying to keep their abilities under wraps
0: yeah that was weird to me because i i thought that that was what was going on and that they would have to explain how vision you know reached his hand into this guy's throat but like the episode just uh papers over it like there's it's never mentioned again everybody seems like it's fine and so i was i was a little curious about what that what the actual meaning of that pause was because yeah like like you said i i thought it was to protect their secret
2: identities but
1: i mean maybe you, that was underneath the table so she, maybe she didn't see it maybe she thought he did like
0: a
2: yeah uh, i don't i don't think though. i don't think that i don't think that his wife sees what actually happens and it just oh it I, needs... I was just talking about mr hart himself like he you would think that he would have
0: noticed that a person oh, reached yeah. their hand through his own neck i don't know maybe maybe the angle was such where he was lying on the ground where he somehow didn't notice but like it wasn't as if he uh that it wasn't as if vision gave him you know the heimlich or like uh you know chest compressions or anything so like how else would he have gotten it out of there i don't know that was just, that was a moment where i kind of that was the only moment in this episode where i scratched my head i think
2: in a way that the show didn't want me to those I think I think, I think those who remember health class from high school will recall the finger sweep when somebody is choking on something and you <laughs> scoop it out of the back of their throat. So I think Vision could have easily done that.
3: I think we're missing the forest for, for the trees a little bit here. Uh I think the, the fact that everything does resume the business as usual so fast is is that for whatever reason um within the construct of, of this reality Wanda and Vision are, aren't just hiding their identities and powers it's hijinks, they're hiding them for real and there's and for the first time in this episode uh, there's actual super to be done, there's a life to be saved, there's, a, there's actual endangerment in a world where everything is Teflon and soft and things get resolved in a half hour and to me it's less about, oops we, we can't show our powers, or more about this is real, reality is here, I don't, I need to give myself permission to, to accept that something bad has happened, and then it'll be immediately rewritten because that's the rules of this universe, nothing bad can happen, and we have to forget about it and move on Yeah
1: Okay, so early in the show, Agnes notices Wanda doesn't have a wedding ring. At the end of this episode, Wanda magically conjures wedding rings for the couple. Uh, The end of the episode has one of those uh, crop-ins with the couple kind of smiling and breaking the fourth wall, as like shows used to do. And we have, as Marvel, I mean, I'm not sure if you call this an after credit scene. It's kind of like a credit scene or, or something, where... The credits begin to roll on the show, and then the camera pulls back, revealing it's playing on, like, this old-school television. But it's not in the 50s. It's not in the home. It's in some kind of studio or control center with lots of modern knobs and network computer equipment. Um, One thing I noticed here, and it's the first notice of this that comes a couple times in the first two episodes here is there was a logo on one of the computer screens. It was the circle with a sword in the middle of it. What does that mean, Jacob?
3: Okay. We're going to open up some, uh, some cans here in the Marvel comics. There is a sister organization to shield called sword. And like shield, it has a very awkward, <laughs> a full name, the sentient world observation and response department. And whereas <laughs> shield's job is to, protect the earth when bad stuff happens there you know to investigate supervillain activity and to back up the heroes and whatnot sword's job is to protect the earth from external threats from aliens interdimensional things and so on uh this is our first time seeing evidence of sword in, in the mcu whether it's a new organization or it's been secret this whole time we do not know and we do not know who is part of it at this point in the episode but this if this is sword and i think it's between this and episode two i think we can clearly see that this is this logo keeps popping up again and again and it is a sword logo several times that suggests that whatever's going on here has some kind of outside influence that goes beyond just wanda herself whether this is aliens or maybe something interdimensional which could tie into dr strange 2 or in the coming spider-man 3 uh i can't say for sure because i do not know uh but sword is like I said, it's a very interesting organization, one with very different goals than SHIELD. So the fact that it's here and not SHIELD suggests that this is not an ordinary earth bound issue. It is not a Wanda problem. It is a Wanda plus something else problem.
1: Have we seen Sword in the MCU so far?
3: Uh, not that I know of no correct Brad
2: uh, so I mean officially yes but the so the finale of agents of shield I didn't watch the show doesn't count Brad no no I know no I know uh, <laughs> but, but but that's what that's that's actually kind of what's interesting about it because um, it, it's alluded to that the team that was agents of shield has now become sword however the show was uh, denied permission to actually use the name sword in the show. So it's only implied. And it's probably because they knew what they wanted to use Sword for with Wandavision and whatever however else it comes into play in the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe titles. So technically yes, but no not really.
1: I, I thought like in the end credit scene for was it Captain Marvel a lot oh, of theorizing. Yeah,
2: so so this is something that's not uh, mentioned in the movie, but you're right. Um, uh, the pager that uh, Nick Fury has that was given by Captain Marvel apparently also has the sword logo on it. The prop does, but it's never actually shown up clo- in up close detail in the movies.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that. I was just talking about the scene at the very end where Nick Fury is on this like spaceship with. Uh...
2: Oh, that's Spider-Man.
3: Oh, yeah, oh is Spider-Man, that Spider-Man? Yeah, Ben, ben
1: Mendelssohn's yeah. character. Like, I, I assumed, or there was theories going around at that point that that was sword.
3: No, I think that was his Nick Fury on vacation,
1: man. He needs a break. Okay. Um, there's a f- there's some very feminine hands that is seen in this uh, scene. Um, I would ask you who you might think this might be, but I have a theory.
3: Is there is IM, a character. an IMDb-based theory based on who we know is in the show but hasn't shown <laughs> up yet?
1: <laughs> yes. Now, I, I don't know anything. I, I want to say that first off. I don't think anybody on that's appearing on this podcast knows anything about the future of the show. Um, this is purely based on what has been announced by Kevin Feige publicly at... Was that Comic-Con?
3: It's been know. announced all over the place, including at the recent Disney Investor in- event about the character, who I'm pretty sure about the mention.
1: Yeah. I'm speaking about Kat Denning's character from the Thor movies, Darcy, who is apparently a, uh, has a role in this season. So... Maybe she's now working for Sword. I she's
2: believe an alien
3: expert. I mean, she she involves in all the Asgardian stuff. She she'd be one of my first hires if I was starting an anti-alien company or organization.
2: I, I believe that is uh, accurate since there is a shot in the trailer with her in it, and it appears to be among um, one of the outdoor sequences involving uh, what appear to be Sword agents. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Okay. Um, we cut to a please stand by place card. Credits play over the visuals with like data and pixels turning into things like wedding rings. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if there's anything to say about this, but any final thoughts on the episode one of WandaVision? Ben? Uh,
0: No, I loved it. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh, Was there anything I didn't mention guys? Do you want to talk about in episode one?
2: I don't think so. Um, I just think one of the things that I like about this um, and is that, it kind of reminded me of um, Lost in a way, where the end of every episode offers up some kind of big, like, interesting reveal or twist where, like, it just, you know, the, the plot thickens and, like, things get more interesting. Um, yeah. And I really like that, how, you know, especially with the way, you know, we, we pretty much see a sitcom play out the entire way through with, you know, some hiccups here and there, but then the end, something really weird happens that really throws everything for a loop.
1: For sure. Okay, so episode two is 33 minutes, sticking around that 30-minute time limit. Um, it begins, and they're in a different home. It's set in the 1960s. Uh, the It's like the typical TV trope of the husband and wife sleeping in their own twin beds apart from each other. I have to ask you guys, because I haven't looked this up, but was this a thing that actually happened, or was this only a thing for TV because they couldn't? You know, have a man and a woman in the same bed together. Like, I know that that was probably the reason, but like, was there like actually like maybe Christian or Catholic people that actually slept like that?
3: There is a cons, there was and probably still is a very conservative element that does sleep in separate beds like this. Uh, but you, I, I do think the common image of it for most people you write is classic television.
1: Wait, so how do those conservative families have like make families?
3: You like? schedule a time, Peter, clearly,
1: but like. Do you push the beds together? It's like that's not enough room.
2: They do it. Know. They do it how they do it, Peter, and that'll that'll satisfy you for this time. <laughs>
1: okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, in this opening, Wanda magically combines the beds, and they turn off the lights and go under the sheets. And uh, I think there's a way of uh, insinuating that the '60s were a little bit more naughty than the '50s.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Also, because Wanda's wearing pants they have a skirt.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, and and they're they're not showing anything; they're just hinting at it, um, and that's something you could do in the '60s. So, can uh, you
3: that... for one second on the banging on the window, because it's initially a gag, and one that's funny. Like they're both scared of what could be out there, uh, but it sounds way too loud and intimidating to be like anything that's innocent. And I really do feel that that banging, which I feel like, plays into the end of the episode, which we will get to later on. But I want to say that I found the sinister quality of the banging noise in the window to be really effective uh, in conveying that something was actively wrong. Instead of just another sitcom trip. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, the house has multiple floors. The rooms are smaller. It feels more real. There's some like better lighting, like coming in from the outside. Um, And uh, the first episode had a live studio audience. The second episode actually has a laugh track. So it has a different feeling to it. And the opening, um, title sequence features an animated version of the characters flying to the town showing their antics having powers in this like suburban neighborhood and uh it feels very like bewitched to, in design to me for for someone who watched a lot of bewitched as a kid um but uh brad i know you like you were reading an article that there was like tons of references in this opening
2: yeah, for sure. There's um in particular the the more interesting ones are in the shot of uh, Wanda in the the grocery store. Um, if you look in the background, there are three different posters uh for items that are in the grocery store, and they they're all very obscure references uh to Marvel comics. Uh, one of them is a carton of Bova milk, and apparently Bova is a humanoid. Wait, wait, wait
1: a second. Does Does Jacob know what Bova is? I just want to know. I'm putting Jacob on the spot here.
3: Uh, I, I'm embarrassed. I don't know. Go on, Brad.
1: <laughs> I, I just had to see because I I know what this references and it seems really strange.
2: Yeah, it's okay. very 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 weird. Uh, so Bova is a humanoid cow who apparently delivered Wanda and Pietro on Mount Wundagore. Uh, so apparently, this is part of their their comic book history. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, there are plenty of w- weird anthropomorphic uh, animals throughout Marvel Comics history, and this is one of the weirder ones that I've heard of. <laughs> in my defense, the X Men are my least knowledgeable corner of Marvel, and
3: these two are X Men characters in the comics, so I do I will not know who birthed them. I will know a lot of things,
2: but I don't know who birthed Quan <laughs> <London>, and Pietro Maximoff. <laughs> you definitely need to research your weird animal characters. <laughs> Um, One of the other ones, and this uh, continues to feed into the idea of uh, Agatha Harkness having maybe some kind of presence, is there is a poster for Auntie A's kitty litter, um, and it also includes an image of a black cat, uh, which Agatha Harkness is known to have with her as well. So there's another hash mark in the old Agatha Harkness mystery there. Uh, And then another interesting one is there's a poster for Wonder Mints, And uh, this is more subtle, unless you know who this character is. But there's a reference that comes later in this episode that we'll get to. um, And so uh, for now, I'm going to save uh, what this Wonder Mints reference might be once we actually get to it um, later on.
1: Yeah. There's some other stuff that that Nerdist article points out that I'm not quite sure. Like, there's a moon at the beginning of it, and there's, like, these what, six stars around the moon, and they think it represents the Infinity Stones? I don't know. I feel like that might be reaching too far, but I don't know. Uh, Let's, um... I I wanted to ask you guys, are we supposed to believe that this is, like, the next day in their lives, or, like, has a decade passed? Or, like, what are we supposed to think?
3: think Time is an illusion in this universe. Uh, It is the next day, but it's also 10 years later. It's just... I think the the passage of time being completely deranged is absolutely a feature and not a bug here. It's actually pretty unsettling when you linger on it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the plot of this episode involves them hearing a scary, but mysterious sound outside vision offers to perform magic in a neighborhood talent show quote for the children, which is kind of strange because we have not seen any children in any of these episodes or around this town. So what children? Yeah. What, what children? Does anybody have any idea what the, what children?
3: I thought this was so good. <laughs> I mean, uh, if in our uh, in our recap of, of the uh, we're, we have written recaps slash reviews slash uh, pieces going up uh, each morning by uh, Evan Staffoff on the site, they're very good. And the first one up this morning, and he lingers on how. This entire episode is about them doing a show for the children, for the children, and there are no children. We never see a child, and, and some some kind of sinister implication or undercurrent there. And I love it so much. And another um, an, another blue velvet Twin Peaksian note there.
1: Yeah, I gotta admit, I didn't even notice that until I read Evan's piece. I was like, that like I knew that they had this like kept on saying for the children, and it was funny, but it never occurred to me that there was no children in the show, and obviously. Children will come to, into play at the very end of this episode, but um, we'll get to that then. Uh, so when I heard that noise, uh, she finds a red and yellow toy helicopter in the bushes. And this is actually like in color. It's in like while the whole show is in black and white it is in color. Um, and the toy helicopter has that sword logo on it. And it also has a number 57. On it, which uh, I'm gonna guess mean is a reference to like Avengers 57, where Vision first appeared. But um, why do you think she found a sword helicopter in the bushes of her front yard?
3: I'm gonna, I, ben, Ben should take this because Ben is the one who is least knowledgeable <laughs> in Marvel. I want to hear Ben's prediction
0: about the helicopter. I mean, like the the banging, I was trying to figure out what that was. And, you know, jumping ahead just very to the end of this episode where like this person comes up from this manhole. And we'll talk more about that later. It just feels like, you know, somebody is trying to encroach on this world that is is being created that maybe Wanda is creating herself or or whatever the circumstances are of this bizarre sitcom universe that they find themselves in, it feels like somebody is, is trying to get in. And then this helicopter thing, I was just sort of like, okay, so did somebody like breach the, uh, the invisible force field and like accidentally (laughs) drop this in here? And like, it's a toy and the whole thing is for the children. And like you guys were saying, there are no kids here. So it seems like, it seems unlikely that a kid would have dropped it, but is somebody taking all of the children that existed from this area? And like, this is a, uh, a remnant that they once existed. I don't know. My, the the possibilities, my head, my head was spinning during this whole thing, trying to figure out exactly what I was supposed to take from that. But I think right now, you know, armed with just the knowledge of episode one and two, it's more of a mood thing. And hopefully these pieces will get filled in later. But I thought it was very effective and and sort of unsettling. But I I could not begin to say exactly what I think, you know, it might lead to.
3: My two cents would be that it is a literal sort of helicopter that got in too close. And whatever protective magics are here to protect (laughs) this world, magicked it (laughs) right into a toy,
2: (laughs) right into the hedges in front of Wanda's house. Yeah, I was thinking that too, and I even wondered if maybe like the helicopter crashed and that's like what the sound, you know, was that was out there, but whatever, you know, is in place to keep this, you know, uh, you know, faux reality intact just makes it appear as if it's a toy helicopter, but then maybe as the reality of this uh, sitcom world starts to crumble, we'll see that there's an actual wrecked helicopter somewhere in like this neighborhood or something like that.
1: By the way, there's a lot in this episode that has to do with like flowers, like there's like the rose bushes outside of uh, that home that they end up with, Dottie's home, there's like these bushes outside the yard, there's, uh, you know, this beekeeper guy later, we'll see later, there's bees surrounding him,
2: Uh, I think think even one of Wanda's shirts is a floral design as well. And at
0: the very end of the credits, those sort of digital things you were talking about, Peter, like over everybody's name, one of the symbols that they form is like a a digital red rose. So or or maybe maybe it's not a rose, but maybe it's it's definitely some sort of flower. Um, So that seems to be something that that is uh, important, even if we don't know exactly what it means yet.
1: Does anybody have any theories on the flowers?
0: I got nothing. <laughs>
3: Jacob, anything? No, but now I'm, I'm going to be obsessively tracking flowers in this show. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> I love that this could be nothing. I don't know. I love shows like this, like Lost and stuff, where you just, like, overanalyze everything. So uh, I, I want to say thank you for, you know, indulging us and listening and uh, <laughs> to us, you know, talk about flowers in WandaVision. Um, uh, there's, like... Um, Okay, so Wanda attends a planning committee meeting, and it's here where we meet Dottie, who is like the head of everything in this
3: town. Can you I, mean, I you on Dottie get... for one second, because she's played by Emma Caulfield who is Anya on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I haven't yeah. seen Emma Caulfield in years and anything. I was so I'm so excited that Emma Caulfield is here. Uh no She must have got
1: married because she's now Emma Caulfield
3: Ford. Oh, well, there we go. Well, she's great. She was she's like, she was Anya the Vengeance Demon on, on like four years of Buffy. I love her. And here she is in Marvel. I don't think anyone else on this podcast has watched Buffy. I wish HT was here. Nerd up and Emma Caulfield with me. Uh, <laughs> but here she is. I'm, I'm very happy to see her here. Uh, that's it. will go back to her.
1: Well, she's great as like the mean girl of this like whole town. Um, you know, the uh, the person that everybody looks up to. Uh, but more importantly, we meet, uh, what was her name? Geraldine, I think. Yeah, yes. Who tells Wanda that her pants are peachy keen. Um okay, here's the point in this podcast where I know we've I have talked about Kat Dennings, but I wanted to ask you guys, is it fair to talk about who this who this actress is and who she's playing? Because this is another person that Kevin Feige, I think, said on stage. She's playing this character.
2: Yeah, let's, they've
3: officially they've, they've fish... oh. for speculation. I I, I feel like I would rather we save this for the end after we warn people away and discuss the future because at least one, this is one I wished we had not known. That's fair.
1: That's fair enough. Um, but I will say it's out there. Like, you know, it was used as like the big marketing of how this ties into the greater MCU. So, okay, we'll get to that later. Um, there's kind of like a Stepford wife's kind of thing going on here in this neighborhood. Like things do not feel right. Wanda feels like a fish out of water. Um, there okay. Here's a really nerdy th- like thing that some fans pointed out. I'm not sure it means anything, but I wanted to ask you, Jacob, about this. Dotty says that the devil is in the details, and Agnes responds, "That's not the only place he is." <laughs> a lot of fans seem to think that this is a reference to
3: Mephisto. A uh, Mephisto.
1: Mephisto. Yeah. Like I, I don't even know who that is, and. I don't... I don't know. This seems like such a small joke. Like, is there something here? And who is Mephisto?
3: Mephisto is essentially the Satan of the Marvel Universe. He's a demon from, from, you know, alternate dimensions who... He can possess, grant wishes, you know, has incredible hellish powers. Pretty much, if a character goes to hell in the Marvel universe, which they they do more often than you may think, uh, they'll meet Mephisto. Mephisto is the one who gave Ghost Rider his powers, you know, the double, the curse of saving his father, but also, you know, turning him into a vengeance demon. That's Mephisto. Mephisto, uh, He's often used the Deus Ex Machina. He pops in to say, oh, you want to rewrite the past 10 years of continuity for a narrative purpose? I'll do it, but here's a twist. That's what Mephisto yeah. does. We actually saw him uh, play by Peter Fonda in the first Ghost Rider movie, uh, a movie best left forgotten. <laughs> but he's, he's a really fun character. Like I said, he, he, he I would not be surprised if he does pop up in Doctor Strange too, uh, because Doctor Strange tends to encounter more demonic, satanic uh, characters like that on occasion. However, I am not convinced this is anything more than just a riff on a common uh, on a little reference joke, you know, uh, common phrase. But yeah, that's Mephisto. And if he does pop up, I will uh, I'll devour my metaphorical hat. But I I would love to see Mephisto in the MCU. But I don't think this is it.
1: Yeah, some fans are like, this means that Agnes's husband is Mephisto. I don't know. It it seems, seems from the outside looking in, that seems a little bit of a stretch, but. We mentioned it. So if it comes up later, uh, we called it. And if it doesn't, we said that it was ridiculous.
3: Look, I'm prepared to be wrong. I'm prepared <laughs> to have people voice clip stuff from this and send it back in my face in nine weeks and say, look, Jacob, you were very wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I sw- I sw- I'd rather be wrong later than incorrect now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Dottie has been told things about Wanda Envision and, and tells her she doesn't believe her. Um. It seems like whenever someone in the show is like asked an interesting question to Wanda or Vision that like puts them on the spot, some kind of huge distraction follows. Right? Like in the first episode, he chokes on the meat. In this episode, the the radio comes on, is playing um,
0: "Help me, song? Rhonda."
1: Right? Yeah, "Help me, Rhonda." But then it's uh, we hear Wanda's name and we hear a voice on the radio say. Saying, "Who's doing this to you, Wanda?"
3: I did recognize this voice. If you want to talk about that, I did as well. Oh, I didn't. Who is it? That is the voice of Randall Park, who played Jimmy Wu in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the FBI agent who was assigned to keep tabs on um, Scott Lang. Interesting.
1: Interesting.
2: He was and a we have Shield agent. Yes, and we have seen him in uh, the trailers as well.
1: Yeah, he 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 was announced as part of this cast. I'm guessing that he's probably. A um, agent of a, of a sword.
3: Yeah, I, I, I imagine our our sword lineup, the initial lineup of sword folks, will include Jimmy Woo and, and um, Darcy. <laughs> yeah, I think.
1: He's uh, a I guess with
0: here. the time jump uh, that happened in Endgame, maybe that will explain how he went from like a. You know, uh, just a normal FBI agent to working for this intergalactic
2: agency. Was he (laughs) FBI? I I say FBI, but was he Shield, Brad? I can't remember now. No, No,
3: he was
1: FBI.
2: Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was FBI because by by that by that point, uh, Shield had already been disbanded because they found it was Hydra.
1: But he does have Shield background, so I think he'd fit in quite nicely with uh, Sword
3: um okay so great i love randall park more more randall park make use of these actors marvel you cast them in these small supporting roles what's michael stuhlbarg gonna do now that dr strange is over you left them in that corner so bring them back bring back these actors who you waste in tiny roles and put them in your tv shows is why have randall park play comedic relief fbi agent when he could have a good meteor role in wandavision this is a way to do it bring back michael stuhlbarg from dr strange in a tv show this is my rant oh okay i'm done okay uh, the glass
1: shatters in Dottie's hand, and she has a huge cut, and there's some red blood. It's colored red in this black and white world. I do want to bring up that the first thing that we saw in color was that red helicopter, right? And now we're seeing red blood. Is there something to the red?
3: Uh, we also saw the red blinking light
0: in the commercial. Is the that red
1: um... blinking light? The Hydra logo, is that red?
3: And,
0: and Vision is uh, given some big red gum
1: later. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that.
3: It's almost hmm. as if a character is named Scarlet Witch.
0: Oh, oh, you
1: think it's Scarlet? You think it's Scarlet Witch thing?
3: No, I, I, I I'm, I'm joking mostly, but they all are red, and red is literally in her name, her superhero name. So. Yeah.
1: No, I mean that's a that's a good point too. I was I was going with Hydra because there's some stuff coming up, but we'll talk about that. Um, there's this weird subplot where Vision goes to this neighborhood watch to report the suspicious noise outside his home. Uh, his coworker is part of this group, and they don't. They clearly don't want him there. But in the scene, like it's basically a setup to give him the big red bubble
0: gum. Oh, there's but another red uh, reference too, because he up. calls the guy a communist. Um, oh, yeah, oh yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs> so, that
0: could be something. And and the um the one thing about this scene, Peter, because you're probably going to brush over it because it's not like a super important uh moment. Uh, Vision just like hanging out with all these bros at this <laughs> this weird uh. <laughs> meeting that they're having yeah, I just they're all thought they
1: shit about their neighbors and so. yeah
0: I thought the set was really cool um and it reminded me a lot of a set from uh I think it's a library set or a bookstore set from the music man which came out in 1962 um I watched that for the first time not too long ago and just was very uh whatever set they're in that that library looking set was very very reminiscent of uh another book heavy set in that film
1: yeah uh, he consumes the the gum, and we get this, like, I, I love this. It's like an animated look inside Vision's robotic insides as the gum kind of, like, gets stuck in, like, the gears.
2: It literally gums up his works. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, so let's talk about the commercial for Episode 2. Uh, this is something I didn't notice the first time I watched it, but it's the same actors from the commercial Episode 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, this commercial is for the Strucker Watch and this is why I wanted to mention before. In the first episode, there was the heart in the calendar for August twenty third, and in this episode, there is a watch that is set to the time eight twenty three. What do you think? Does that have anything to do with anything?
2: So, so I'm uh, I actually have an image of the watch right now, and the watch isn't at eight twenty three. It's it's at like two forty.
1: Am I wrong? I thought I saw eight twenty three.
2: No, it's it's at like two forty two or two forty three. <laughs> I'm looking this up right now.
1: Uh, maybe it's another shot of the watch, or
2: I uh, I wonder actually if it's the. Um, hold on, no, it's not the other clock either. I'm not sure. No, where... it, do, it does
1: say eight twenty. Like some some people are bringing it up on. Yeah, I have it. It's eight twenty three. Oh no! Wait no! Oh okay, it's not eight twenty-three. I kind of lied to you guys. So the small hand is between the two and the three, and the big hand is pointed at the eight.
2: Oh, it's a little bit off the off the eight, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So the big hand's pointing to the eight, and the small hand's pointing to the two and the three. So I feel like this is such thrilling radio. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, is there something like that? Seems that seems purposeful to me like is, is there a purpose to eight twenty three?
0: I don't know. the the between two and three thing is is kind of uh, I don't know. It seems like a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I'm sure there's something because they they could have picked any time. Um, and I'm sure that that it's something, but I don't know. i don't I just don't think we have enough information to to be able to make even like a an interesting guess at this point. It's just not there,
1: <laughs> and I posted this image to our slack channel. i'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Just so you guys can properly see what I'm talking about, and not just hear my description of it.
3: Yeah, you're correct. Uh, 8, eight, eight two and three are prominently featured, even if it's a little bit out of sync with it being directly a time. So you are correct.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I, I so definitely. Was, thing- I wasn't looking at the the watch face that way, but that that if yeah, re- looking at it like it left to right, mm-hmm. then yeah, the eight twenty three is still pr- a prominent thing.
1: But uh, you did some research, you said earlier, Brad, and you couldn't find eight twenty three connecting with anything in Marvel history
2: right yeah i couldn't right? th- yeah there's no like link to like a special issue or anything and i even like looked up like uh the actual time on the watch to see if there was any like issue reference or anything like that and there was nothing that really made any sense
1: yeah i, I think the thing that most people are going to notice about this watch is it has the hydra logo on it but interestingly the name of the watch is the strucker watch and we know this character baron von strucker who was a former nazi and the leader of hydra um, Jacob, tell us about this character and how he uh, might play into things.
3: Well, we met Strucker in uh, Age of Ultron. He was the one who... Actually, we met him in the, in the end credits scene of Winter Soldier. We met him properly in Age of Ultron, where he is the one who, along with Hydra, turned Wanda and her brother into weapons, gave them powers, and unleashed them upon the Avengers and later you know, allowed them team up with Ultron. And he dies pretty abruptly in that movie. He only has a few scenes before he is uh, killed in his prison cell by Ultron. And and he uses
1: uh, he he writes with his blood piece or something. in Strucker's own blood.
3: <laughs> I remember, yeah, something like that. But it's um, he's a it's in, it, I think it's a, a little. I think dismissing him so fast from the movies was was a poor choice because he could always use more Nazis to punch. And Instrukker is you know a monocle wearing Nazi is very punchable, and I think the most interesting thing about this is the slogan in this commercial. He'll make time for you. After Tony Stark left the Maximoffs to die, looking at an unexploded bomb, and Tony Stark it, didn't do anything about it, he's off at that point being a playboy, gallivanting, not saving the world, Strucker looked at these orphans and said, I can make you powerful. I can give you what you want. He made time for them. So uh, I think, once again, this is a very, as Brad noted earlier, a very sinister uh, like retelling of Wanda's origins through these commercials.
1: Brad, do you have any additional thoughts on this one?
2: uh no yeah i mean that's yeah this just continues that that thread of like this you know weird way of remembering wanda's uh life before she became an avenger
0: and that time thing jacob that could be maybe linked to the beeping that we heard in that first commercial that sort of like bomb ish countdown kind of thing so i'll have to track and see if the concept of time ticking away is something that uh that keeps coming up in these weird interstitial things
3: yeah and if, as we saw from you know the ending of infinity war and the ending of endgame vision stayed dead vision did not come back that's one of the, the biggest unanswered question we haven't even tackled yet is that why is vision here in what capacity is he alive or not alive or a fabrication or a recreation and if he learns that he died and is back what does that mean to him if he's real or not real that's a conversation yeah. I'm looking let's forward talk to about having... that in speculation yeah but I, I will say this much though that um uh we'll make time for you uh, if <laughs> if Vision is running down the clock on uh, existence, that maybe there's more to say there. Hmm.
1: Okay. Um, okay, so the big tentpole sequence of this episode is this talent show where Vision and Wander are performing this magic show for the children. Um, this is notable for a variety of reasons. Uh, it was filmed on Blondie Street at the Warner Brothers studio in Burbank. I actually could recognize it because I've been there so many times and it's like this like town square it's famous it's been used in a lot of classic tv productions like father knows best and bewitched so it's very like uh famous um and this is notable because when they filmed the show WandaVision, uh it started filming in atlanta georgia most of the show filmed in atlanta georgia they started in november 2019 uh before the production was suspended in march of 2020 because there was this there was this pandemic. It's called COVID. <laughs> Just um, we all know that. Uh, so when production resumed in September 2020, it resumed in Los Angeles. So uh, this is one of the last things that they shot, and they shot it during COVID. So it's interesting knowing this. If you go back and watch this whole scene play out at this talent show, you it's interesting to watch how spaced out the characters are how many of the characters are way more than six feet apart. Like the tables are distanced, how characters don't really interact with each other much in in, in this, in this sequence. But it's it's something that I don't think you'd notice if you didn't have this context, but it's interesting that I think it actually makes it just feel like weird, like a, like the show is supposed to be feeling a little off um, subconsciously, but it's interesting to note that this is a, this was a COVID scene right here. So, um, Something I didn't notice on my first viewing I actually didn't even notice it on my second viewing And then I saw someone mention it on Twitter And I had to go back and look The Vision's uh, Magician hat Inside has the Hydro logo in it Any thoughts on that?
3: I need to go back and look at this too Wow Yeah, I missed that
0: completely Yeah are you sure Peter? Are is it real? Oh, like did you zoom in and and confirm it? I I
1: did not like watch the show again to confirm it. I saw a screenshot on Twitter. So there is the possibility that that could be photoshopped. I did not confirm um but there's a lot of hydra in this episode.
0: I wouldn't um, even know where to begin with how to potentially analyze vision wearing a hydra themed hat yeah. or, or hydra branded hat, but uh Man, yeah, I, I don't know okay. about
1: that one. Well, next week on the podcast, we'll confirm if that actually was true. Or not. <laughs> Sorry for bringing it up. Um, so uh, the Magic Cabinet of Mystery is adorned with, like, the Mind Gem, the same gem that is in Vision's head. Um, their performance name is Glamour and Illusion, which is actually a nod to the vision in Scarlet Witch number five, where which vision goes and sees his friends perform as a magic act called glamour and illusion. So there's a bunch of like comic book goodness in the scene. Uh, But I thought, Ben, do you want to talk about the scene? Like this whole sequence, I think like plays out in a kind of funny way.
0: Oh, man, I just I was very impressed with I mean, this is kind of like the um, the sequel, if you will, to the moment uh, from that first episode, that dinner table moment where um, there's the danger of these powers being revealed in a real way. And it's just Wanda constantly like problem solving and trying to you know, figure out how to, how to, uh, come up with, uh, creative workarounds. I love, I, I especially love that moment where, um, she's like, if only you all knew our secret and, and pulls back the curtains to reveal several mirrors. And one of the characters, like, it's like, is that how mirrors work? And the other one's just like, shut up. It doesn't matter basically. Um, so I just, yeah, I think all of the other, uh, explanations make more sense. And that one just seemed like a desperation move. Um, but I just love how it's sort of like brushed over. Um, I don't know it's it's weird to me that this whole thing was like the staging of it is a little odd because it seems like they're sitting right in front of a massive uh like a retail store like a JCPenney or something. I don't remember what the name of the of the store was. But like there's a town square like right there. I don't know. I, I wonder if that's um if we're supposed to read anything I- into that um or if it's just I don't know. Did anybody else notice that or have any sort of uh, trigger thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, it seemed weird to have a department store like that in the middle of a town square area. Um, It had a very Truman Show vibe to it. But I, I wonder if that's part of the idea of having this set that feels like it's not really real and it just fits the convenience of what they needed for the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It says uh, Wentworth's department store. So I don't know if Wentworth, if there's like any sort of character, that if that's a reference yeah. to anything in Marvel lore or, or what. But
1: Well, there is. Uh, there's Deirdre Wentworth, who is an AIM scientist whose goal is to bring female domination, hence her leading the female committee. Oh, I guess they're trying to connect this with Dottie. Hmm. Huh. huh. So well, there might be something more to this. You might be right, Ben. Yeah, it was a little out of place. Huh. Okay. So we'll get more to a- AIM in a little bit. So yeah, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, so Peter, Wanda I mean, I'm, removed... I'm going
3: to be that guy. It's AIM. You're killing me. It's AIM. AIM. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, been...
1: Isn't it an abbreviation though?
3: uh it it is it stands for advanced idea mechanics and they've introduced in the mcu before we saw them in iron man 3 they were uh the company uh that the the, uh quote-unquote real mandarin the one played by guy pierce uh created and they're a very famous um comic book villains essentially like what if mad scientists created their own evil union and went about doing mad science so and it's also a this, this could be an easter egg toward that um i'm sorry I, I do not mean to sound like a jerk. I just you saying yeah, I am I was causing a twitch deep <laughs> down in my nerd brain. <laughs> That's fine.
1: It's totally fine. I, I know like some people, when I say ATAT or at-at, like people get like really irritated at like people saying it the wrong way.
3: Um, you say okay, Mario so one... or Mario, Peter. <sighs> Mario. There we go. You say it the right way. Okay, good. We're on the okay. same page of all the important things. <laughs>
1: Okay, so Wanda removes the gum from Vision. Dottie is impressed by their performance. They have won the recognition of the whole neighborhood and awarded the comedy performance of the year.
2: Um, Speaking of comedy performances, uh, can I just talk about how awesome Paul Bettany is during this entire sequence because he's, he's playing like overly sitcom goofy cartoon drunk, essentially because the gum has messed up his entire inner working system. And just like from his hair being so disheveled and the way he stumbles around and speaks, it is, it's so good.
1: Yeah. And Elizabeth Olsen in the series, is just so great. And I don't think we've seen this kind of like comedy side to her before. She's usually kind of more serious roles.
0: I mean um, Wanda and Vision both I feel like have been done pretty dirty in the MCU yeah. thus far. Like there's that that big moment that is supposed to be super emotional in Avengers Infinity War where she has to destroy the stone and Vision's head and you know even like just their romance and their relationship it just feels like it's been so much more of a side thing that that the movies barely had time to cram in there. So you you wish that those big emotional moments in the films landed a little bit better because uh you know, like if there if there would have been more um, foundation there, I feel like all of those moments would have landed a little bit better. But I'm just glad to see these two actually have some real time to, yeah, like lean into these characterizations and and just sort of like find themselves without being rushed on to the next set piece immediately.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about the show for like two years now, and it only just occurred to me when I saw this, uh, these episodes that. Um, Elizabeth Olsen. Her family has a legacy in sitcoms, so it's 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 oh, yeah. kind of her her um, <laughs> I guess following the family legacy in in a way of because uh her her sisters right were in mm-hmm. Full House, um yeah so, uh okay the end of this episode has a reveal that Wanda is pregnant and showing, um, which just comes out of nowhere by the way um. So is this the the whole whole episode we were talking about for the children? Is that a lead up to this? And also, is this what happened for them going underneath the covers at the beginning of the episode? Because t- like you said, time does not follow the same. The same it, it doesn't take as long as it does in our normal. It doesn't follow the same rules is what you, you were saying earlier. So like, is this a direct result of that naughty opening of this episode?
0: Yeah, I think yes to both, right? That's what it read as to me anyway. Uh,
1: Okay, so they hear that noise outside, and they go investigate, and they find someone coming out of the manhole in the middle of the street. The person is wearing what looks to be a bee suit, and there's bees surrounding him. There's a logo on the back, which I couldn't really make out the first time, but it is... I think it's that sword logo again.
2: Yeah, Jacob and I talked about this too, actually, because I, I specifically asked him if he recognized the logo on the back of the suit. Because when I watched the screener um, here at home on my TV, I, I couldn't make it out. And it looked different from the sword logo. But then when I, I, I went and looked back at the episode today, it you can very uh, clearly see that it is the sword logo. And I think what it was is maybe... uh, if it was the streaming quality was a little bit off or the lighting just didn't look quite right. um, Or if it was just a wrinkle in the suit that made it so that the sword was not entirely visible, but it's, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's definitely the sword logo.
1: So now, now that we have this, uh, you were mentioning before uh, aim, right? Like uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of fans that think that this might be related to aim because in the comics, the advanced idea mechanics like those agents they wear like these yellow suits that kind of look like beekeeper suits and uh you mentioned that in in the movies like it's it's different it's uh that guy pierce's role in uh, iron man 3 but in the comics they are kind of a branch of hydra um and they were created by wolfgang von strucker so we're hearing hydra strucker again um so Jacob like how does this work like is this is this related to
3: AIM it's a good question because the AIM henchman uniforms these big sort of billowy yellow things with large helmets they've been kind of jokingly referred to as beekeeper uniforms for for literally years and years and years they they the the design of the AIM henchman has not changed because people love the design and they do look at beekeepers so this could very well be an AIM reference and like I said AIM is canon in the MCU they were previously brought up uh, to make it a literal beekeeper uniform, I'm not so sure. It could be a wink or a nod, or it could be that it's a AIM uniform in the real world. But once in the sitcom world, it becomes a beekeeper uniform, which would be a nice twist in reference to <laughs> how people have talked about that uniform over the years. The galaxy brain <laughs> explanation for this, there's actually a Marvel character named Swarm who is literally a sentient swarm of bees. He's a man who, <laughs> who, is, who has his consciousness uh, transferred into a swarm of bees that can form the shape of a man and wear clothes, but it's actually a swarm of bees. And he is a um, Nazi scientist, more or less. He is—he he would fit right in with Strucker's crew if Strucker was still alive. So I'm not so sure if, if AIM is part of this, if AIM is maybe infiltrated uh, sword, or if maybe sword and AIM are both on the outside trying to figure out what's going on here. Maybe one's responsible for it, one's not but I think there's a chance that this is, this is the character of swarm wearing a actual beekeeper's uniform. This could be an uniform.
0: It. Jacob. I'm going to be so disappointed now when it's not that, because that's
1: so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? Do you think it's aimed? Do you think it's swarm? Do you have another theory?
2: I I mean, we know Swarm is definitely an active presence uh, with what's going on. And, part of me wonders if maybe there's like a contingent of aim that like Jacob said, maybe is pretending to be sword and has their own um, plans for what they're trying to do. Because uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe this idea of like for the children is something that is maybe a manipulation of what's happening with Wanda and aim wants, you know uh, like children from, from Wanda or something to maybe, you know, utilize for their own you know needs to have their you know just like Strucker was doing trying to create you know these superpowered beings who would be rivals for the Avengers Um, and then meanwhile S.W.O.R.D. is actually trying to help or figure out what's going on and like who may be manipulating Wanda however as we see in this episode immediately following the reveal of this beekeeper it seems like Wanda is doing some manipulating of her own
1: yeah, she she kind of says no. It's it's very like abrupt and like you feel like I don't know, you really feel her no. And then it rewinds. Time or she or rewinds faster. time. Yeah,
3: she
2: right,
1: rewinds yeah. it. She rewinds time.
3: I think that this is a really important moment because this is for me solid confirmation that Wanda has at least some capacity or control over her reality. Yeah. She's actually making the choice to be here and making the choice to create this. Whether she's doing with somebody's help, doing it on her own, we do not know. But she's not a prisoner. She's clearly, this for me, this moment makes it very, very clear she's here by choice. And that is, that sets up some stuff I'll talk about in the very end about my future speculation. But it also
1: rewinds to this moment, just moments before when they realize she's pregnant. And then the the question is, she wanted to ask Vision, is this really happening? Which I think is the real question of the show, right? Like This is the real mystery of, like, you know, what is going on here? Is this even really happening? Um, so right then, the show transforms itself into a beautiful technicolor, like, kind of 70s, as they kiss. And they end with the title card. Uh, they have another please stand by card. And then um, we hear that voice, Randall Park, probably, saying, who's doing this to you, Wanda? And uh, we have the credit sequence again. Uh, you know, with pixels transforming into roses and glasses and staircases and houses and rings and all sorts of things. Um, okay, that is episode two of WandaVision. Do you guys have any other thoughts on that before we get into speculation?
3: The moments of surrealism here where, like, for example, Dottie smashing the glass with the red blood through the black and white and the arrival of the beekeeper through the uh, through the, the manhole with the rewinding of time I love that each episode building on basically compared to the first one is one starts to really build on the, the invasive moments. Like we always saw a little bit of that in the first one, but clearly going forward, this reality is going to become more invaded and more broken uh, more often. And Wanda may try to fight back against that based on her actions here, or try to keep whatever these elements are out of this fantasy. And those are the moments that made me realize that this show is, is so up my alley. I mean, it's such a. <laughs> I can admire the combination uh, of um, Marvel characters and sitcom tropes in the first episode. It's a lot of fun, but this one, where I realize it's it's about a, it's about a fantasy being proven wrong and to fight to embrace that fantasy for for better or worse, probably worse. That to me is such a fascinating direction to take these characters in this world.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to get into our speculation portion of this, which is us like kind of speculating about the future. We don't know anything about the future aside from uh, the actress uh, that we mentioned earlier. We're going to talk about that just now, but if you want to tune out now, feel free. But uh, I I think part of this whole thing is speculating about where this is going to go. But okay, let's talk about, let's talk about the actress. Uh, Her name is Tiana, Tiana, Tiana Paris. Yeah. Yeah. um, She plays Monica Rambeau, who you might recognize that name because uh, Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel's best friend, was Maria Rambeau. And in that film, she wore this necklace that said Monica. That was the name of her daughter. And her daughter looked up to Carol. Um, we met her as a kid, but that was like in the 80s. So 90s, yeah. 90s. or 90s. Or sorry. Uh, so if this is now nowadays, uh, she's th- this is this woman that we see who is introduced into this world as Geraldine is actually not Geraldine. She's actually Monica. So uh, and how she could place into this is obviously uh, in the comics She's an agent of sword. Um, and uh, if, what else do we need to know about her from the comics, Jacob?
3: Uh, from the comics? Yeah, are pretty much, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Monica Rambeau, um, but I don't know how much I can say without talking about <laughs> um, things we have seen for sure. So I'm, I'm just going to say that we know that she's confirmed for Captain Marvel 2, that was probably announced, so I don't expect her to die in WandaVision.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, uh, for sure. And um, okay, so let's um, let's talk about some of the questions we have here. What is this place that Wanda and Vision are stuck in, and why does it take the form of a sitcom? Jacob, I feel like you have some strong feelings on this.
3: Yeah, this is where I'm going to dive into some comic book stuff, which could be total BS. It could be an indication of what happens. And like I said, if you don't want to know potential spoilers, I, this is where you should back off. the top on your podcast player. But there are a few titles that uh, were referenced in the press notes as being influenced on this series. One of them is the series Vision from a few years ago it's about uh vision living in suburbia with his family and other than the the aesthetics of vision in suburbia this comic is not referenced a whole lot so far and it's very much a vision story Uh, Wanda doesn't play a a part in it at all really and other than maybe a a few minor bits here and there uh the real story that seems to be the core of this is house of m which is a like i said one of the defining uh wanda stories and it essentially it's wanda f- floats between being a hero and the villain in the comics like she has in the mcu she's a villain first before she's a hero and using her powers which are to, you know they're not just in the comics and not just you know summoning rocks to throw at people which is what she does in all the movies she can alter reality and she uses she alters reality in the comics to create a world where her family um her pietro and her father magneto because magneto in the comics is her father essentially so she the earth and most of the heroes are gone and the only character who has memories of the previous realities? is Wolverine, and he, who, who has to navigate this world Wanda's created and uh, restore things. And that comic has that run as a very famous conclusion where once defeated, Scarlet Witch uses her powers to get revenge by declaring no more mutants and wipes out 99% of the mutants on earth uh, and leads to a whole series of stories of mutants being an endangered species. Mutants aren't really here in the current MCU. Uh, but I do think that we're seeing shades of this, uh, of that overall story, namely that there is a idealized world, a world that has been created where Wanda has what she wants, which in the comic is control of the world with her family, and in here it is vision back, a normal life, an American life, like sitcoms. And I don't know if we're waiting on a reveal that maybe Wanda grew up watching Um, old american you know reruns in sokovia and this is like what she thought the world was is what she thought happiness was it was it was a dream that she was looking forward to you hear those stories all the time of people overseas seeing older american tv shows broadcasting them so we still we still don't know the origin of why wanda would be obsessed enough with a sitcom world to create it as an ideal fantasy for her and her you know dead lover but i do think that house of m being such a famous storyline being one that that has been confirmed to be an influence suggests that a great risk to the world, a great risk to others and imprisoning others within her reality. She has stopped at nothing to create a world where she can be happy at all costs in in the guise of this sitcom. And I think that much like how house of M made her into a serious villain ended with her committing mutant genocide. We're leading toward her great breaking bad her. She breaks bad again. I mean, we we know she's in Dr. Strange too. That's been announced already. And, they have not announced a Doctor Strange 2 villain. I think that's because WandaVision is the villain origin story for Wanda leading into Doctor Strange 2. And I think that House of M being a key influence and being the one that's being, at its core, being the main influence here. Not like on the surface, no House of M comparisons at all. But inside, it seems to be functioning very closely to that story. So I think that's where we're going. I think that's the end game. Uh, to ben,
0: from the outside, somebody who doesn't does read comics, does this make sense to you? it does i mean my thought uh was that she was either being experimented on or that she this whole thing is yeah it, it sort of seems like that that definitely she is is creating this reality my big question is like at the end of the second episode you realize that she has the ability like you guys were saying to manipulate time to to sort of reshape the reality into a uh, into the manner that she sees fit so why then in the first episode did she seem so confused about not knowing why she was there or it, it seemed like she and vision were on the same page in the first episode and then that is definitely not the case at the end of the second episode and it was like my question was like Was she pretending? Like, who was that performance for? Was it for us, the audience? Was it for Vision himself? I I don't know. I was a little thrown by that.
2: I think the vibe that I get uh, in the first episode, especially when they're talking about that date on the calendar, is that Wanda is trying to keep up and act to keep the show going. Because I think it's very interesting that the opening credits for both for this series uh, credits Wanda Maximoff and Vision as the stars of the show and not Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. So this is, this is a ruse that she is keeping up. And I think that she, she's doing the best she can to improvise with what's happening. So, so where the things that she's saying when they're talking about the date are like intentionally vague, like she knows what's going on and she's trying to let vision figure it out so that she can go along with it, as opposed to her being certain as to how to keep this thing, you know, going. But at the same time, it also raises this question as to, exactly what it is in this world that is making Vision the way he is or making the neighbors the way that they are because it's clear that they are being manipulated somehow, whether it's Wanda doing it by manipulating real people or if they are merely creations of her mind or people playing a part just like in the Truman Show. Um, And these are details that come up. uh, We'll talk obviously once we get to episode three next week um, we won't talk about any of those details here, but there's there's clearly a little bit more beyond I think what Wanda is doing here in uh, to create this this world.
1: Okay, but I, I love Jacob's uh, theory here, and I think he's probably mostly right. But the one question I have is like, are we sure that that she's not like this is not a are we sure that she's completely creating this like herself and it, she isn't a prisoner of some kind, maybe of sword, maybe of Hydra? Maybe she's like, you know, ty- maybe after we haven't even talked about what happened to Vision in, in the MCU. But last time we saw Vision, he got killed in. Who? Uh, Was that Endgame or Infinity War? (laughs) War. He
3: died twice in Infinity War. He died, and time get reset, he died again. He was super killed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then his data was put on, like, the computers in Wakanda, and we thought he'd be brought back that way. And that's still possible. Maybe she's living in the computer version of Vision, or maybe, like, um, what I'm wondering is, like, maybe she was so upset with the death of Vision that maybe she needed to... Maybe she had the psychotic breakdown and maybe she's kind of like, you know, strapped to a chair in a room that's playing sitcoms and she's in her, this world in her head trying to, you know, not accept the future or, uh, you know, to, to live in the past. Maybe there's something more to that. Like, are, are, are we all convinced that like, it is just basically her own doing and,
3: no, I think she, like... she had help. I mean, clearly this is can't be all in our own head because we see, um, because, because there, there seem to be um, intruders, people coming into it. Um, and we see people, someone watching it on a TV screen at the end of the first episode. So there's, there's something external here. And yeah. so I, I'm, d- I'm, not, I'm not convinced entirely in our own head, but I also do think that you're right. I think that this is, this is a story about grief. And I think that we're, we're watching Wanda process the death of the vision over nine episodes by trying to, create what was lost and i think it could have a very devastating ending for her and for us
2: yeah and there's because there's clearly like a guide there too i think in the character of agnes whether she's somebody who is trying to help wanda deal with her grief or if she's somebody who is trying to keep her in this state for their own uh nefarious you know desires because she's constantly showing up when things are going wrong to help and make the situation more calm or guide her in a certain direction and keep her within you know the parameters um of the show and on top of that i feel like there's this there we still have yet to address the like like you said uh how it is that vision is back, whether it's, you know, a creation of, of her mind and not. And one of the interesting aspects of that, I, um, which we'll get to later on in the series is a, a sequence in uh, the trailer that actually ties into a moment I talked about earlier involving Agnes, where Agnes is the one who um, during the same sequence, when she asks if uh, the Avengers are there to help them, she also, she asks vision, she's like, am I dead? And he's like, no, why would you say that? And she goes, because you are. So there's this realization, whether it's in Wanda or whatever, or maybe somebody that is like pretending to be Vision in this scenario, uh, has like has this realization that Vision isn't really alive. And one of the other interesting details um, that I- I'm not sure how this ties into is maybe Jacob will have some kind of theory if he knows more. Is uh, there was a featurette that was released today um, that lays out just the basic story of Wanda Vision, and when executive producer and writer Jack Schaefer is uh, talking about the story of WandaVision. In the background, there is a piece of art on the wall full of concept art and stuff like that of what is clearly an illustration of Wonder Man, uh, who is a character that has been linked to Vision and and Wanda before. There's even a love triangle of sorts in the comics. And I wonder if there is, uh, no pun intended, some, some way of introducing that character as maybe being this faux vision that maybe there's a, a new synthetic being they used from whatever was left over of vision after uh infinity war they were trying to you know say save his his memory or his mind um and that's being used in this this scenario somehow
3: it's really interesting brad i'm, I'm not so sure how i would tie wonder man into this or knowing marvel they put that in the background of his feature just to drive us crazy for sure yeah <laughs> but i will say that what I'm very curious about, this is me looking at the trailers and looking at the story so far is I'm genuinely curious that since Wanda's powers in the comics, which are being more, you know, seem to be upped in the movies now, finally is be able to alter reality. She can change reality at a whim, not just pick up rocks and throw them at Thanos. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering if her reality altering powers has brought vision back And at the end game of this show. I keep saying end game guys. What a, what a, what a marvel <laughs> marvelous word to use um, is vision realizing he's dead and back to life but wanda is doing it by keeping prisoners by creating a world by creating by forcing people to to be pawns in her fictional sitcom reality if the end game is vision saying no i i'm i'm dead you need to get over me you can't you let these people go it was a vision versus wanda show of of the the of wanda letting vision go becomes a literal battle between the two uh because i think that may be where we're going uh, I think that maybe the catharsis that both characters need—Vision finally, Vision accepting that he's dead, and Wanda accepting that he's dead—and Wanda um, going off to fight Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange too. That's, yeah. I said that's if I had to. I'm not putting money on anything, but this is this is my where my brain is spinning in, in that direction right now.
2: My only hes- uh, hesitation about that theory is, and again, I will cite the trailers because I've seen all this footage so many times now since I've done the trailer breakdowns and whatnot. Is there is there are there's this one back and forth sequence between Vision and Wanda where it looks like it's, it seems to be outside of the realm of any sitcom parameter, unless it's uh, one of the more modern ones that's modeled after like modern family or something where they're, they're out in the middle of the neighborhood and Wanda says something to the effect of like, this, um, this is our home. And then Vision says, well, then let's fight for it. And then they both go off to, to do whatever and like take on whoever, you know, whatever's creating this problem.
1: It's interesting because, like, who's the bad guy in the series? And you bring up some interesting things, Jacob. Of like, you know, maybe visions the bad guy. Maybe Wanda's the bad guy. Maybe uh, because maybe... I think the series is kind of setting up uh, Sword as like I, I think everyday viewers are like, oh, this looks like an evil organization that's doing something, right? But like from what we know of Sword, they're probably not the bad guys.
3: Yeah. So I'm that, not sure who... ask you the villain here. I, I I I think that I do not see a a scenario where where Wanda is not her own worst enemy. And I think that's so much more interesting than having, you know, another villain to punch.
2: Yeah, I think I, I agree with that wholeheartedly.
1: The The other question I have is, is Vision alive? Like, I know you guys, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, but do you think that the Vision in these sitcoms is the data that was recovered in, in, on Wakanda, you know, in Infinity War?
3: I don't think it's that data. I don't think it's that literal. I think that he is essentially, to use a metaphor, a uh, pile of clay that uh, that has been conjured by Wanda and given his memories, but not his memories of his death. And I think he's as real as he could be uh, if considered, you know, an altered reality to be real. But he's not the, the, he's not the guy we knew.
1: Why in the end credits do you use like these, like seeing these pixels come to life almost like they're inside a
0: computer? Then. Cause it looks really cool.
2: Yeah, I actually I actually I think that what that is is because you will notice that the the elements uh, used for the credits are actually red, green, and blue, which are the the primary colors that are used to create the um, images of television inside old televisions.
0: Yeah.
1: True. Um,
0: okay. I kind of think it is the digital version of Vision, Peter, uh, especially with that emotional arc that Jacob predicted of, of Vision being the one to say at the end of this thing, like, you have to let me go. I, I like the idea of it being the actual Vision that we have seen and interacted with previously in the MCU. I have no idea what the interface is that allows uh, Wanda to interact with you know a, a completely digital version of that character. Um, but I, I, would love it actually, if it was that, you know, the quote unquote real vision, uh, who, who then was able to have enough agency himself to make that decision. And it would be such a, a um, yeah, like I was talking earlier about like the emotional, uh, moments in the movies between those two characters, not really working really as well. I love the idea of having, a mirror image of, or, or essentially a, a, the same scenario from the end of uh, Infinity War, that moment that is arguably the most emotional that those two characters have had thus far um, play out at the end of, you know, after spending X number of hours with these characters in this show where the emotional uh, devastation that happens would actually mean way more um, at having spent so much more time with them and, and. Uh, to have vision then say you have to destroy me again or in this case let me go um you know and and move on and live your life i think that's the that's what he basically told her at the end of infinity war and to have him do that uh again and for it to be like the same version of that character i think would be really powerful
1: to me like it makes sense in a way because maybe there's no way to because they don't have an infinity stone to do so there's no way to like turn vision from data into flesh and blood in a real world i wouldn't
2: guarantee that because the uh, the trailers have also shown that we see the mind stone in some capacity and there's actually now that i think about this there's been several just just little easter egg things like that are alluding to the the mind stone not um obviously the uh the illusion cabinet has the stone prominently featured on it and i just realized that we were talking about how that um that Easter egg thing from Nerdist focusing on the arrangement of the stars around the moon in the animated opening sequence was kind of whatever. It's arranged in a six point uh, um, uh, arrangement (laughs) around the moon that resembles the infinity stone. And the end credits of the first episode, when it zooms out, it creates another six point shape like the Mind Stone around Wanda and Vision. So, I wonder if the Mind Stone could still be in play because, if I remember correctly, the Mind Stone is. Wait, wait, wait a second, Brad. Just had a thought.
1: There's the beekeeper. Bees have hives. Hives are shaped like what?
2: Uh, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: okay, go on. I'm sorry. No, but, I, but the. Um, did the Mind Stone need to be. Oh, you know what? Never mind. I was just thinking that the mind Stone was the one stone that they wouldn't necessarily have to do anything special with in order to like return it, but they actually did because it wasn't it, um, because Thanos destroyed all of them. So, never mind. Yeah.
1: You know, it's also interesting. I didn't even think about this until now. And this is probably, you know, completely obvious, but like, you know, Wanda having her parents killed by Tony Stark, uh, you know, it's kind of her origin story. And the person that she ends up falling in love with is a creation of Tony Stark. Jacob, any thoughts on that?
3: We love what we hate. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have nothing to say. I, I, I've, I've said my piece on what I think is going on here. Peter. I, I'm, I am spent on WandaVision until next week personally. <laughs> okay. I
1: just have one last question. I, I don't think we've talked too far about how sword fits into this. Like how, how do we think sword is going to fit into the, the rest of this show?
3: Wanda has caused a crisis on this town, trapping everybody in there. Uh, Sword has shown up to solve the problem, and since, if it goes by what Sword is in the comics, it's an alien threat. But I would not be surprised if they redefine Sword's uh, mission to be about interdimensional threats as well, tying into whatever dark magics she has conjured, which ties into Doctor Strange 2, which has multiverse in its title. That's my
2: laying it out as simple as I think it could be. I w- uh, do you think? Do we think that there is any possibility that there is some kind of something happening involving the scrolls here as well?
1: Well, we do know that they're going to do that secret invasion, right? Yeah. TV show. I don't know. I, I mean, well, there, you said
2: sword. Maybe there's a chance hmm. that the, peop- the people that are inside this sitcom world are scrolls who have taken human form.
3: Now we're talking. Now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this this is this is what, this big man. Look,
3: if Catherine if, if, if Han is playing a secret scroll, all power to Wandavision. I bow down.
1: Okay, uh, any last thoughts? Does anybody have anything that we ha- we have not discussed in this this episode of the podcast that la- lasts like more than two times the length of the show? <laughs>
0: Um, the only other thing I had written down was the idea of uh, one episode per decade. At at a certain point, they're going to run out of uh, decades to you know serve as this pastiche uh, sort of foundation. So is that the point then, where it starts to get into you know what they've described as some of the biggest set pieces in Marvel cinematic history? Are we are we going to have to wait until it gets there, and then once they sort of catch up to I don't know the modern aesthetic of television? Is that when it just transitions into a full-blown MCU movie uh, on, on the small screen I don't know I, I don't I don't know if that's an answerable question but uh, just something to maybe keep an eye out for
3: something a... there, could, there could theoretically be seven episodes that are about you know each decade of television if you include you know 2000s and 2010s and two episodes left and Matt Shackman has teased that there are massive MCU battles in this so I, I think that I think that's a really good assumption Matt.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the next episode is probably in the '70s. We're definitely going to see an '80s episode, um, possibly a '90s episode. But like, what does 2000s look like compared to the, the 2020s? Talking,
2: talking Heads. Stuff yeah, they with, uh, they uh, yeah they have talked about that. They did go into that uh, that mockumentary style of like that Modern Family and The Office did and. Um, oh. recent TV spots and the featurette did feature a couple bits of footage that showed Wanda talking to the camera. So that's coming at some point.
3: I imagine it could, it could be, you know, that could be the 2010s even, whereas in a rest of the Vub and style, you know, single camera comedy style could be the, the 2010 or sorry, th- 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 the regular 2000s. Hmm. <laughs> interesting
1: okay um we have reached the end of this podcast if you have any thoughts if you have noticed anything in these episodes that you want to make us aware of if you have any theories we might read it on a future podcast like we have done in the mandalorian episodes you can send it to peter at slash and please leave your name in general geographic location in case you mentioned it on the air you can find more of all of our work at slash one.com you can find this podcast on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps if you like this podcast if you enjoyed this uh you know spoiler discussion of wandavision please share it on your social media because uh other people are probably going going to hear all these details and and speculation and uh, us being wrong and right sometimes um and also in addition to that head over to our itunes page and leave us a five-star review you know write us some words don't even just hit the stars but like you know write a sentence or, or two that really does a lot to helping this podcast get more reach so uh thanks for watching or li- thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time on uh what is today stay friday so we'll, we'll talk to you next time on monday